Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter, news, and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. This week we will be skipping the news segment as nothing of particular note has come out the past couple weeks. There was talk of a map of Onigashima and where the fights are happening that was supposed to be released with this chapter, but that turned out to be more of a text description without any locations on it. And there was also supposed to be a special summer announcement with this chapter as well, but that turned out to be the return of a One Piece show at Universal Studios Japan, which isn't of much relevance to most who will enjoy our show. With all that out of the way, we'll be jumping into chapter 1014, then later 190 through 201. Here we go. So, I like that log, it's his cover page. That's fun. But, unless there's more to this literature, I don't know if it can really count as a riddle. Um, it seems to just be like more of a task <laughs> that he's been given. Yeah. And he is not doing a great job, I guess. I mean, the tiger is coming out of the screen. It's right. going after that meat over there. Yeah. He doesn't even seem to notice. He's just tapping himself on the head like a weirdo. Maybe it was his plan all along. Maybe he put the food there and it's drawing the tiger out. I guess so. This is probably some sort of Japanese cultural thing that right. you and I don't understand. But uh, yeah, it was uh, fun to color earlier. Lots of orange. So. <laughs> Good. Uh, here we are back outside the skull dome on the tippity top of that sucker. Luffy is falling, presumably to his watery death. Kaido, up here talking some shit. He's impressed that he infused Conqueror's hockey into his attacks, but apparently he was real bad at it. And he does some laughter. Poor Luffy, even in defeat, getting shit on. Yeah, this whole, this, this line where he says, Gum Gum, what was it again? That kind of threw me for a loop for a second. Made me wonder if maybe Luffy pulled out a new attack that we didn't quite see, uh, but even that wasn't anything to Kaido, or if he was just like, eh, all of your stuff, I didn't really care about it. Moving on. Yeah, I considered both those possibilities too. Personally, I'm more inclined to think it's the second one. Yeah, He was just agreed. referring to Luffy's moves in general, um, but it's possible. Maybe he pulled out something fancy, but it would be a little bit strange if... Something fancy was off-screened, right? And we know it didn't work, right? Like, what would be the point of flashing back to a new move of Luffy's that we already know isn't going to work, you know? Yeah, I can't think of a real reason for it either, but uh, I do like to try to think outside the box. Agreed. Classic you. Uh, Luffy splashes into the water. That's not good. <laughs> Kabloosh no. and all. No, yeah. Definitely can't be Joy Boy like that. Yeah, whatever whatever that means. Well, isn't Joy Boy the guy who made it to Laugh Tale before Roger? And then there was he had his time in Fishman Island with... Uh, didn't he say he would protect him or something? Am I wrong? All those things are mostly true. Um, something to do with Joy Boy was on Laugh Tale. Maybe it was a ponder lift. Maybe it was some sort of message. We don't know what was going on with Joy Boy there. Just... Roger referenced him when they got there. Mm -hmm. 
He is also mentioned in the Poneglyph on Fishman Island. I don't remember the details, but like he's like the one who built the Ark Noah. And he was like apologizing that he couldn't use it in time to take the entire population of Fishman Island to the surface. That's all well and good. And uh, Odin seems to think that at some point, 20 years in the future. So now Joy Boy was going to return in some fashion to Wano. But the weird thing is, why does Kaido know about that? Yeah. Everything in reference to Joy Boy has been written on Poneglyphs, which he doesn't have access to. I mean, he has them, but he can't read them. Yeah, and he would have to be pretty old, by my understanding, if he, like, knew about him personally. Uh, And we know that that's not true, because we've seen him younger uh, when he was apprenticing. Indeed. So... I don't know what's up with that. I, I guess he either has a scholar with him, like maybe Queen is interested in Joy Boy, or maybe he is more of a scholar than we give credit, and he's he's read up on... Well, I don't even know who could have written yeah, this where stuff would he down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, man. you know? You know, Odin had that notebook where he wrote about Joy Boy, and Yamato has it. Okay, that's true. I've been wondering about that notebook. Maybe Kaido's been sneaky into Yamato's room at night, taking his uh, diary out from underneath his pillow and sneakily reading it uh, late at night, getting that sweet, sweet Joy Boy information. (laughs) Um, I don't know, though. Somehow Kaido knows about Joy Boy, and I guess we're just going to have to accept it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kaido gets a call on the snail o phone, the good old Den Den Mushi, from... Bao Huang. Apparently they found Momonosuke through the Marys, and Kaido wants them to announce through the Marys, surprise, Luffy's dead. So that's not great for our boys. No, it's it's not great. I Well, actually, I think it kind of is good um, because of something that happens later. But that's a few pages down the line. <laughs> All right, we'll cover it when we get there. Though. Yeah. Uh, that takes us to the next page. We're back with Yamato. Uh, everybody thinks that he's carrying Momonosuke. They're wrong. We know that. He doesn't. Just kind of tearing through the place. Not much going on with Yamato here. <laughs> yeah. Just beating up some randos. Yeah. Claiming the name of Odin. Mm-hmm. Then we touch back in with Momonosuke for a hot second. He is sitting there reading Odin's notebook. Reads something in it that confirms his belief that he shouldn't die. Not much of a relevation there, Momonosuke. But uh, something's written in the notebook that really sends that point home. But then uh, he starts having a headache of some sort. Presumably he's hearing someone's voice similarly to what happened with Zunisha way back on Zoe with him and Luffy. That's a little strange. What's going on there? My first thought was that it's Luffy in some capacity because they've been connected in the past. But depending on the timing, that doesn't exactly line up or it could line up perfectly. Who knows? Well, the only thing about that is that, like you said, Momonosuke has been kind of sensing Luffy's fight with Kaido all this time. But in this panel where he's having this like panic attack over it, he's saying, what is that? Who is it? So if he's just hearing Luffy like calling out for help or something while he's drowning, wouldn't he recognize the voice? Well, I don't think that Luffy would be saying any words or anything he he's unconscious for sure 
Well, yes, but it's not like a literal voice. I think that his conqueror's hockey could be going off and just sending off more of like a alarm type thing. Um, but he does ask specifically who, so I don't know. It's a little weird what's going on with this guy. And it's also especially strange. Well, it's not strange, but I don't know if you watched the new episode that just came out yesterday, Jordan, but people have been complaining that they think that episode has spoiled who Momonosuke is talking about here, based off the spoilers that came out over the weekend. Interesting. In the episode, the eye catch shows Roger and Odin being on Zoe and hearing Zunisha's voice. And then the second half is when it happened for our boys, Momonosuke and Luffy, hearing Zunisha's voice when they were on Zoe, right? So people have been freaking out over this, thinking, oh my god, I can't believe the anime spoiled this thinking that that somehow confirms that what Momonosuke is talking about here is Zunisha, even though there's not really any connection between that and this in any capacity, aside from Momonosuke's hearing somebody's voice, right? <laughs> yeah, and hasn't he heard Zunisha before? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't, I don't give that too much credit. Indeed. Now, granted, the anime has spoiled things on occasion in the past, um, I don't think this is a example of that. So everybody, let's just take a breath and relax about that for a hot second. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, we'll find out. Plus, like, Wano's on a big mountain thing. How would Zunisha even, like, get up here? And also, Zunisha has to be ordered to do anything. So I don't think it has the free will to just go to Wano because it wants to doesn't add up yeah quite a few things would have to line up for this i don't not buy yeah, it no <laughs> uh but then we get a sweet shot of <laughs> chopper flipping queen into the wall like a badass you go choppy yeah you can see that he's also got plenty of arrows sticking out of his back and he is still fighting on oh yes what a guy unfortunately it doesn't seem like his attacks are doing much you see on that panel where he flips them that Queen like cries out, yeah. But then on the following page, Chopper says, nothing seems to hurt Queen. So it doesn't really seem like uh, he's making much headway here, even though Queen is like, ha ha ha, a guy who's winning wouldn't be panting like that. Just kind of mocking the poor guy for not doing much. Yeah, but we find out that Chopper's been fighting them for like 20 minutes at this point, which is pretty impressive. For him, well, for a lot of reasons, but like to go up against Perospero and Queen alone for that long, that's crazy. I don't even think Marco's here right now, is he? Um, we see him in like a page or two, just like reacting, but we don't see him like in this little scene uh, in the main floor. I don't know why he would have left. Um, <laughs> but but like he's he's not here as far as we can tell. Indeed. So I guess we have to assume until told otherwise that he's just been tanking these attacks for the straight 20 minutes. It's very impressive. Monster Point Chopper yeah. is very tanky, it seems. All thanks to your best friend, <laughs> Caesar the Clown. My best friend is Gangster Gastino. No relation <laughs> to Caesar. Um, How foolish of me. Indeed. So it does appear that either when they were on their way to Zoe from Dressrosa, or when they were on their way from Punk Hazard to Dressrosa, 
Chopper and Caesar had a chat about the Rumble Ball. And for some reason, Caesar just kind of offered his services <laughs> to uh, buff up that drug for him a tiny bit. And by a tiny bit, I mean expanding the time limit by ten times. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, I mean, Caesar looks like he's been in better situations. Uh, but he is... <laughs> in Agent of Chaos, and I could see this bringing a lot of chaos into the world. <laughs> Indeed. So, why not? It's a little weird that he would be offering up his services like this so shortly after being beaten up by the Straw Hats. I could see this more happening, like, maybe when they were on Zoe, after he and Chopper have kind of, like, not become friendly, but they've been working together for some time by then, so, like, kind of see it. But like you said, he just, like, wants to... <laughs> mess up the world real bad and throwing a crazy monster drudge out into the world is the only way he can do it right this second <laughs> yeah i'm a little surprised that chopper never revisited the formula for the rumble balls in however many years he's had them because he had them at the very start so i don't know just surprising that he never thought about it i'm just assuming this but before the time skip all Chopper had were his standard three transformations. Then he got bonus ones when he ate the Rumble Ball. But then post-time skip, he can just go into all those other forms without using the Rumble Ball, except for Monster Point. So I just kind of assumed that he got the ability to use those other forms by messing with the Rumble Ball and like pumping himself up with all sorts of drugs over the two years. I don't know if that's true. but hmm. I, I had taken it more as him just getting stronger and getting better control over the devil fruit power but for all i know it's a combo of the two so under your belief theoretically any zoan user could just train real hard and just get those extra forms well we know that chopper is special in some way true so i wouldn't go that far true human fruit does seem to be a little weird um it could have something to do with awakening we don't know it's a mystery. Um, yeah. But either way, good for him. Ten times time limit boost, pretty good. I'll be interested to see in what the wrists that Caesar is referring to are. Because he's been fighting for 20 minutes. And aside from being kind of exhausted and not doing much damage, he seems to be doing all right. Um, but we'll have to see. He seems to imply that it has something to do with his looks. Like, is he going to have more of a monster look in his base form if he uses it too much or something? Uh, maybe. That could be. Or maybe he'll, like, if he uses it for too long, he'll lose control over it. And he'll revert to, like, the full monster mindless mode that he used to have while using this form. Could be. Yeah. This fight seems to be going to continue for some time. So I'll be interested to see if we see those wrists as it progresses. Uh, Queen, though, shoots off uh, his beam move called Black Coffee Beam. <laughs> I imagine he named that just while like, drinking coffee one day. He was like thinking about like his beam he was installing in his face, and he was like, you know what? Good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, this dude is still one of the weirdest things to come out of Wano. I do not understand it. He has so much going on that it basically seems like he has two devil fruits at times. It does kind of seem that way. Yeah, like, uh, whoever could make their body into weapons. I know there was someone that could do that. Frankie. No, there was a... 
There was a devil fruit. Oh, a devil. Oh, that's a that's a baby, baby five. five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did think about this a little bit. Either he is installing these things on himself, or you know, whatever, instructing a team to install them on him, or he has some sort of power that allows this to happen. If it's the former, why can't he do it to other people? Or has he? Like, are we going to find out that King has modifications like this as well? Like, why wouldn't you use this power on other people? I I don't under, I don't know. That's what I've been thinking about. Uh, my, I mean, speculating, of course, but my guess is that it's the former option. He just did it to himself, experimenting on his own body like a madman would. Um, and just why, well, I agree it would be wise to expand, like, machine technology to the rest of the crew if they think they would give him a buff. But I can also see Queen as the type of person to want to, like, hoard that power for himself. But if Kaido told him to do it, not much he could do. But Kaido is more concerned about this all-devil-fruit user operation that he's been aspiring towards for some time, so... Machine's not quite his business, I suppose. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll accept that. Parasparrow, taking some shots. Candy arrows, doing their work. He's been shooting them for 20 minutes, I assume, and haven't put Chopper down yet, but I guess he intends to do something with them. They have been hitting other guys, too. Some of them do look kind of dead on the previous page, but... Oh, for sure. You would think the main concern would be take out the big red coon dog thing that's been throwing around the dinosaur but <laughs> we'll see how that happens i'm sure uh Parisparo is going for quantity over quality right now i guess so he figures queen's probably got that i'll take some shots on occasion um but you know whatever bao huang everybody's favorite ninja chick with the weird eye mask thing puts her marys into diffusion mode which seems to just kind of activate them into speakers makes the announcement to all of onigashima that uh kaido's fight is over the biggest bounty luffy is dead and gone sucks to be him r.i.p yeah i'm surprised that chopper heard it considering his head is all the way inside of queen's <laughs> mouth but he reacts to it nonetheless yeah, so sure it does gets through. that way i'm sure that uh the inside of uh queen's mouth has excellent acoustics Oh, for sure. <laughs> Carried really well in there. Yeah, and to give some credit to Marco at least being nearby, he is the next character shown after Chopper. So if that has any meaning on distance, that's something. Uh, agreed. Um, speaking of Marco, I've been thinking about it kind of. Isn't Kane still in this room too somewhere? We haven't seen him in a while either. Yes, but we also haven't seen him specifically go anywhere since he was last fighting Marco. So my my guess now is that Marco is just in the sky somewhere holding off that guy. Yeah, I guess it's just not as uh, climactic as Chopper's fight. Indeed. Not as cool as weird cyborg dinosaur guy fighting giant raccoon uh, reindeer man. <laughs> just terrifying stuff. Indeed. Real spooky. Uh, everybody in the crew pretty much reacts to this news. Um, of note, to me at least, is that it, the panel where it is announced that Luffy has sunk to the bottom of the sea, 
uh, is the page or the panel that Jinbei is in, and he reacts to this news. Um, so maybe he is going to ditch Catman <laughs> and go snatch him out of the sea in some capacity. Yeah, I think I brought that up recently, and I'd love to see it happen. Because why why else is Jinbei there if not for this exact <laughs> situation? Indeed. Maybe he's already like got a platoon of whale sharks just waiting, following the movie Onigashima. They'll just pluck him out of the ocean easy peasy. Sure, yeah. He's done it before, kind of. He summoned them on uh, Impelled Down, and they just showed up almost instantly. So I guess they followed that guy around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. They also announced that the, the Kozuki Samurai have also gone down. Kaido's coming to clean up the rest of you punks. Uh, but don't worry. If you just surrender and comply with us and become our followers, we'll allow you to live. So that's pretty good. None of our guys are going to do that. Um, but nicer than to offer, I suppose. Nice guy, Kaido. Yeah, I yes. Definitely would love to work for that guy. Personally, I really, for some reason, like the way that Luffy looks when it shows him drowning. Like, I know that's weird to say, but I think it's, I don't know, it it looks cool. You can see that his, well, actually, I don't know if his eyes are in, like, the white glazed over state or closed. But regardless, it's a good drawing. Also, Sanji and Zoro saying screw that together is probably one of my new top, like, 20 moments or something. Oh my. You can tell that they're about to just go off after hearing this. Indeed. About to tear their way to the main floor. Maybe try to make their way up to the roof now to, like, confirm with their own eyeballs that Luffy's dead. Or maybe they'll just trust that Luffy isn't and just go about their business fulfilling their roles. Could go either way. Yeah, I could see Sanji certainly jumping over, uh, but also Onigashima has been moving this whole time, so you would have to account for that. It'd be kind of difficult to find Luffy, probably. Uh, Yeah, we don't know exactly how fast Onigashima is moving, but it's been going for 30 minutes, and that's how long it's taken it to get from a... Where it originally was to the mainland, as we see it arrives at the end of this chapter. Um, so a fair clip, I guess. For sure. I like to think that uh, Zoro like was unconscious and woke up just to shout this, and then immediately falls back asleep. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Classic he. He's got to conserve his energy. <laughs> right. Got to rest up in there. Then we return to uh, the passage that Momonosuke and Co. have been hiding in for some time. It would appear that uh, Kinemon and Kiku have found them. Shinobu is somewhat concerned about this frog operation that can see them with their eyeball, uh, but everyone else is more concerned about this uh, crazy nonsense that Momonosuke is shouting. She really should have just taken that frog out. Yeah, just like kill it immediately. Granted, with it's far too late. Conjuro's <laughs> already there. But uh, yes, should have just dealt with it. Instead of having to confirm with the other two what should be done. Momonosuke down here telling Kinemon that they've got to tell everyone something. Something. <laughs> Not made very clear. But if it is like a distress signal from Luffy or something, it's kind of too late, uh, Momo. Everyone already knows about it. It was just announced <laughs> over the loudspeakers. 
So yeah, maybe Luffy figured something out in the fight against Kaido, and he somehow transmitted it to Momo before he was knocked out. But that feels like I'm really stretching it. Indeed. The more I think about it, the less likely I think that it is Luffy, some other third party involved in this somehow, but I haven't got a clue what it might be. Right, like, yeah. Don't think it's the big elephant, though. Got my doubts about (laughs) that. Uh, But while they're fussing about this, Odin's back. Hooray. There he is. Got him again. Momonosuke didn't see the first time Kanjiro tried this, so he is pleasantly surprised to see his dad. But uh, Kiku, not so pleased, goes forth to cut down that guy. Try to, at least. Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed with Kiku's supposed end here, considering they're the first one to react and say it's not him, and then to falter at the last moment doesn't seem to align. I understand that it would be difficult to attack Odin if he actually was there, but like, if you know something is an illusion it should just stop being effective at that point. I agree. I think it would make a bit more sense if, like, the flashbacks here were about Conjuro and not Odin. Because they know Odin's dead. They know Conjuro is disguised as Odin here. Like you said, they know it's an illusion. It shouldn't really be affecting him. But if it were Conjuro flashbacks... And her being concerned about attacking Conjuro after all they've been through. He's a traitor, of course, but they still were friends for like 20 years. That I could kind of understand, but not so on board with the uh, hesitation because it's Odin's body <laughs> type of deal. Yeah, yeah, doesn't work for me. But uh, Kiku's probably dead and I just have to deal with that. Uh, Probably. I mean... This is what, like, the third of the scabbards to seemingly go down. Falling mm-hmm. like flies, these guys. Probably all just gonna be dead by the end of the next chapter, I would think. Mm, most. <laughs> we'll see if them. they go for all. Uh, the Kappa Man seems the least likely to die to me, but what do I know? Uh, true. He and Izo were heading with Sanji, I think, to the main floor. And that's where most of the danger is. But, you know, they have some strong boys down there. I'm sure somebody will protect Kabamatsu. He needs it. Uh, but like you said, Kiku gets sliced or stabbed. I think probably stabbed just from... I don't see, like, a, a slash mark going through the shoulder or anything. So. Oh, I that that is definitely going straight through the diaphragm if you see where Kondro is pulling off the disguise I see that the sword is going through I just don't know if it has been stabbed through it or like slashed from the shoulder to that point oh I never even considered a slash to that point I I thought it was a stab immediately I'm inclined to think that I just don't know for sure Um, fast man Kinemon catches him before falls to the ground he has a sweet speech about a how if the falling snow is melting, that's uh, the origin of his name, I believe. Kikunojo means falling snow. Uh, then it must mean that the hour of the dawn is coming. It's pretty good. Me dying is a symbol that we've almost won. <laughs> yeah, there's always a turning point, right? Indeed. Uh, Kinemon trying to reassure him 
uh, reassure her. I'm sorry. It's like, don't worry. I'm sure that Wano's dawn will shine all the way down to the underworld. Don't you worry. Tinamon gets real peeved about that. Slashes Conjuro. He also seemingly dies. So that's all pretty good. If he's not actually dead this time, I'm going to just cry. This is too many times. <laughs> Especially since they... Because uh, Kanjiro already said that the wound that Kiku gave him was fatal. Mm-hmm. So he's just... He's got to be done. Got to be. I sure do hope so. Because not only is this the second... Not only would this be the second fake-out Kanjiro death... Mm-hmm. It's like the fourth one since they got to Onigashima, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. But I think the fire is probably enough to do it, so long as that is his real body. And the blood makes me think it is. Agreed. And we get, like, flashbacks to their past while this is happening, so it sure does feel like a finale for Tanjiro. But Oda's gonna do whatever he wants. We'll see what happens there, I guess. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Time and space do not confine this man. Um, oh no, something's coming crashing in. Surprise, Kaido himself is here. Kinemon tells Shinobu to take Momonosuke and get the heck out of there. They do. Kinemon attempts to block a downward smash from Kaido, does not succeed, and gets smashed right in the head by a big ol' what appears to be a Conqueror's Hockey Club blast by on Kaido. That's not good. He looks half fine. <laughs> yeah, his butt seems fine. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. He's been just a butt before, so... <laughs> <laughs> He's prepared for yeah, this. This is not new territory for Kinemon. He's trained all his life. Should not joke about this so soon. Uh, I did not first notice the broken sword blades in the, in the panel where he's hit. I was just too fixated on the half of him. <laughs> Uh, agreed. Looks like he puts up his sword to try and block them, but they just do not do anything. He just, just goes straight through it. Pretty clean cut on those swords, so that's pretty impressive mm-hmm. with a club. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, oh my. Think Kinemon's actually done? I do. <laughs> Looking at Momo's face, I really do. Uh, but... I guess there there could be a way. I don't know why or how, but it could happen. Agreed. Like we said, Oda can do whatever he wants, I guess. But it sure does look like Hinamon's entire top half is just gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you said, Momonosuke is peering over Shinobu's shoulder while they're fleeing, so he should be able to see the aftermath. And he looks pretty upset about it. So, Yeah, I'm going to guess... That Kaido did not stop halfway. That's just the bit of the motion that Oda decided to show us. And Momo probably saw the end of that where there is no more Kinemon. (laughs) Just a pancake. Yeah. Pancake with holes in it because of the the spiky bits of the club. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. So I guess until we're told otherwise, that's the end of Kinemon. Wasn't expecting the leader of the Scabbards to go out among the first. Because only, like, Kiku, now, probably, and Ashura Doji are the only two that have actually died so far. There's still, like, the other six <laughs> out there doing stuff. Yeah, I guess 
I guess you're right. And Contro. Contro was technically a scabbard. So there's five more out there, I guess. Uh, yes. We've got Dog, Cat, Kappa, uh, Denjiro. Denjiro was the fourth. And I can't think of the last one. Izo was among them, but Izo... Does Izo even count as a nine scabbard, or did he leave before like that title was settled on? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't know. We can confirm or deny that later. Indeed. In one scenario, Izo does count, and we have accounted for all of them. And in the other scenario, there's one more that we just forgot about for some reason, and that is embarrassing. So we'll see how that goes when we <laughs> check the wiki later. Um, but, uh... The final thing that happens here is that it seems that Onigashima has finally made it to the Wano mainland. They're about to be floating above land. So uh, that's not good for the people who live there. <laughs> not good. Not good one bit. No. No, it's almost bad no matter what happens at this point. Indeed. Things are not going well for our crew as of late. But this does potentially mean that uh, because... Theoretically, when Luffy fell, they were pretty close to the mainland. So maybe he'll just wash up on shore like he did the first time he almost drowned <laughs> off the coast of uh, Wano. Yeah, didn't Big Mom do the same? Mm-hmm. That kind of seems to be a thing that happens there. <laughs> yeah, the, plenty of precedents. The waves are very good at tossing people onto the beach. Very kindly. Waves. What else are they doing, you know? <laughs> pretty much. They got all the time in the world to make that happen. Uh, but that pretty much wraps up the chapter, unless you had any closing thoughts for us. Nope. All right. No break next week. Thank goodness. Next chapter comes out on June 6th. Like I said, we're skipping the news segment, so we'll be going right on in to the reread. <laughs> Chapters 190 through 201, covering Nami versus Miss Doublefinger, Zoro versus Mr. One, and Luffy versus Crocodile, round two. Nami, right off the bat, works up the courage to face the foes before her, and then realizes, oh, that was a bad idea, <laughs> and runs away again, which, you know, with good reason. Indeed, uh, those guys are scary. Thankfully, yeah, but thankfully Zoro shares up. And saves her life and introduces Mr. One's power in one move. Indeed. Multitasking Zoro, they call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a great introduction, though. Just uh, very fluid. No questions really need to be asked. It's just, we haven't seen him do anything. Zoro figures it out in one move, and we're moving on. Indeed. If there's one thing that Zoro knows about, it's blades. So this really checks out. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Indeed. Uh, as does the rest of the fight, but that's later. Quite. We do see in this chunk that Chopper was in the room while Usopp was making his five-ton hammer. He was just asleep, <laughs> and I love that little detail. You see that when Nami is first asking Usopp for a weapon so she can better defend herself. Um, and it's just, uh, it was completely unnecessary, but very cute, very fun. Indeed. Just adds a little bit of flavor to the scene. Makes it slightly more, like, believable that it happened, that it wasn't just, like, Usopp and Nami, like, conversing in secret <laughs> about this. Yeah, yeah. Nami really gets to show off her IQ, her 
intellect in this battle. Uh, she drew the short straw first and had to go through all of the party mode options, but eventually she figures it out, and uh, Miss Doublefinger just cannot stand up to it. It's a really good fight. I love Nami using her cape as like a deflection shield thing when it gets all caught in the spikes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all the mirage stuff, pretty good. Again, I was like, I don't really know much about pressure and atmospheres, <laughs> but this sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, I'm just going to assume that the science checks out here. <laughs> I'm sure Oda did his research. I mean, in reality, like slightly hot balls, slightly cold balls, and slightly zappy balls would not be able to produce these effects. But <laughs> no. If exaggerated, not. perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the fun of it. Indeed. This is a bit of a criticism of Nami, a little bit, I guess. But uh, she got the climatat when she was just wandering in the desert with Usopp, just going from point A to point B, right? When they were just, like, going across the big desert. Um, yeah. So it probably would have been wiser, Nami, to read the instructions in advance before getting into a scuffle. <laughs> you had all the time in the world. All you were doing was riding on the camel. So uh, embarrassing, embarrassing, Nami. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you. <laughs> it certainly shouldn't have been as complicated as it was, but <laughs> well, no doubt this is definitely Usopp's fault. I'm just saying that <laughs> this could have been avoided had she uh, read the instructions to her magic weapon a little bit in advance. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, but uh, the climatat itself is pretty dope and i do really like that this fight is not only like one of few that nami even gets the first big one certainly in like 200 chapters almost on the money similar to when usopp fights where it involves a lot of strategy nami is certainly an underdog in this fight in terms of both like combat experience and physical power but she makes it very clear early on in this fight that She's had some experience fighting, not on this scale, of course, but some experience fighting for a long time. Like that move that you mentioned that she pulled, where like uh, Miss Doublefinger was crashing into her with the spikes, and she used her uh, her cape thing to like catch her and throw her into the building. That was pretty dope, and also to me it seemed like a signifier that she had been in like a fair number of scraps <laughs> in her past because she's been like stealing for pirates for years. This is to be expected. Yeah, as good as you are as a thief, you're not going to always get away without a fight. So, like, you need to learn how to get away during a fight. And she definitely used that knowledge to great effect. Exactly. I think it's pretty cool that Oda showed that off in his choice of fight choreography. Um, to talk about the climatat itself a little bit, uh, I like it a lot because it seems at first uh, that it's a party weapon. So that really sucks that... <laughs> Uh, that is what Usopp chose to build for her. Very funny that it turns out that the combat instructions are on the opposite side of the paper. Good one, Usopp. You got us good. Um, but even then, at first glance, the ability to produce slightly hot, slightly cold, and slightly zappy balls doesn't seem especially useful in battle. But in the hands of Nami, it's a very powerful weapon. She's able to do wacky stuff by changing the air temperature. The whirlwinds and mirages and all that is only possible because of her deep understanding of the weather that she spent her entire life pretty much honing. 
And like even Usopp didn't realize that the <laughs> plan would have to be used this way, except for the tornado tempo, which is super duper cool blast weapon. Yeah, he he definitely didn't know that it could be used this way, but he must have been listening to Nami like when they were just out on the water or whatever, and she would explain why things were happening. There's no other reason to put in the hot and cold and zappy ball other than he was like, okay, you've talked about hot air and cold air. Uh, here you go. Surely you can use those things to fight somehow. Yeah. Well, I also, I love that it was made very clear that the climb attack was made on a shoestring budget. <laughs> he kept asking Nami for funds for it and she would interrupt him immediately. And he was just like, okay, I guess I gotta, I don't know. I got some birds here. <laughs> Got like a little bit of like a, a spray bottle I could throw in this thing, some confetti, and right. bam, boom, it's a weapon. Yeah, it's the perfect combination of Usopp's like ingenuity and Nami's very specific knowledge. Indeed, and I guess Usopp also has access to a bag of holding of some variety, because he sure did pack a lot of crap in there. <laughs> We know he's a bargain hunter. He was just running around picking up deals and just figuring he'll find where to use it later. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I like this fight a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, excellent fight. Something did just occur to me, though. Oh? Mr. One and Miss Doublefinger are partners, right? They're the highest-ranking members of Baroque Works, aside from Crocodile and Miss All Sunday. And it's not really an outright stated that this is the case, I don't think. Maybe it is. But like supposedly the further up the tiers in Baroque works you go in the numbers, the stronger the people are, right? So does that mean theoretically that Nami took up a more powerful opponent than uh, Sanji did for this arc? Is that what we think? I, yeah, uh, certainly on paper, that is the way that it's laid out. Power is certainly one thing and matchups are another. Uh, somehow... Nami just ended up getting a, a good matchup here. She, I don't, I don't want to say that she really got lucky because she did strategize pretty much the whole fight, even though she was running away for a lot of it. Um, but yeah, she did take out someone on the top tier. Very impressive. Good work, Nami. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that way. I, I think I finally figured out where... Sanji got his medical knowledge that he used on Zoro <laughs> based off of how we see Usopp is all wrapped up. Right? I was thinking about that too. I mean, we were shitting on Sanji last week or whatever <laughs> about his poor uh, bandage job. But really, if you look at it, Chopper doesn't seem to have done <laughs> that much better. No, no. I think I actually gave Sanji some props being like, yeah, if you don't know what bones are broken, just kind of get them all. Pretty much. So... I, I assume that's what Usopp said to Chopper. He was just like, oh, all of my bones, they're all they are all broken. <laughs> so oh, no. Wrap the whole thing. But yeah. in Chopper's defense, the one thing that he has over Sanji's job is that at least Usopp can move. So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is beneficial. <laughs> Indeed. He's not just strapped to a giant cross that has to be lugged around. He can move by his own power, so. Good work, Chopper. Putting that medical degree to good use. <laughs> mm -hmm. People really fall into their roles in this arc just excellently. It's very nice. Quite. 
We also get the first talk, at least I believe this is the first talk, of Pluton and, like, the Pontyglyph that's there from Crocodile and Cobra, which is a nice little little seed of stuff. Yeah, I think it's the first time both of those things are mentioned. Right, yeah, this, this weapon that can do some major damage, Indeed. and uh, the Pontyglyphs that are described as just like an old history, I think. We get some very baseline info here. Indeed. Vivi certainly can't read the Pontyglyphs, but just through like history being passed down of like the lore of what the Pontyglyph is and why they're protecting it, that's probably where she got the knowledge that some sort of history is etched on it, so... Hit that chaps out. Yeah, yeah. Crocodile also says here, and I don't think it like has any real meaning, but he does say it, that Pluton was supposed to be the most terrible weapon of the ancient world. So if we take that at face value, which again, I don't believe we should, because I don't think the other ancient weapons have been like conceived at this point. But if we do, that means that Crocodile thinks at least that Pluton is stronger than... Uh, poseidon and uranus as a weapon that's a good point yeah i hadn't really thought about that could also just be that crocodile thinks that because he doesn't know what the other two are like crocodile probably knows the terms right he knows that there are three of them but maybe pluton is the only one that he has like concrete knowledge about i would assume that's the most likely case yeah and this man's working on very little <laughs> But he does know that it's some sort of big gun or something. So he's got, like, some sort of actual intel on this stuff. Yeah, there must have been a description or a diagram. Well, I, I don't know how long Robin has been helping him, but I assume she would be the one to share most of the information that he knows. Agreed, but it... I guess it's never confirmed as far as I know, but it, it seemed to me that crocodile like went looking for robin specifically because he had this plan that involved reading the poneglyphs so he needed her pretty much i don't think i mean again it's not confirmed but it never occurred to me that this poneglyph plan happened just by fortunate happenstance that he managed to find robin you know well yeah that's true he could have been wandering around for a while just figuring he'll make it work um, but that doesn't really seem like Crocodile. Indeed. He lets me more sure of this type of thing, generally speaking. <laughs> Not always true. Yeah. He does slip up now and then, but... <laughs> There's always some element of surprise that can ruin any plan. Quite so. And what bigger surprise is there than Monkey D. Luffy himself? But <laughs> that's for later as well. Yeah. Very good. Feel free to talk about Zoro now, if you must. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much to say about him. He did a lot of cool things in this fight. You know, he took a lot of hits and said a lot of cool stuff. But, uh, probably the coolest thing he did was lift one third of an entire building to throw at this dude. Buff Man Zoro, tossing a house. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the crab grab that he does gets an honorary mention, though. <laughs> that one does it for you? You like, you like the crab grab? sword move oh yeah yeah i can i can see that he was still kind of workshopping that one <laughs> and i don't know if we see it again if we do then whatever 
But uh, I think he was just like, yeah, that one, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's back to the drawing board. <laughs> Didn't work out in this case, so maybe next time. Workshop that one a little bit more, Zoro. Uh, do you think during the fight where the, whatever, the pillar crashes down on him and he says that he could see where the rocks mm. wouldn't fall and all that, is that... Is that like him, quote-unquote, unlocking hockey, even though that's not really a thing right now? I was digging into this a little bit today, and until recently, right, the last, like, 50 chapters or so of Wano, my answer would have been, I don't know, maybe, but I'm not sure. But nowadays, it sure does seem like it's a hard yes. I do think that... Zoro, at least temporarily, had access to both armament and observation hockey during this fight. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how else these things could have been explained. Like, the way he's talking about, like he can hear the breath of the stuff around him. That's like exactly mm-hmm. how they describe observation hockey these days. Like, is it really? I mean, I don't, not specifically breath, but like voices breathing hmm. you know okay fair being fair. able to sense the life of things around him sure does sound like observation hockey and then this yeah. business about being able to cut anything or cut nothing has actually been brought up recently in wano when hirogoro is describing a hockey ryuo as it's called in wano to luffy so that also pretty much confirmed i guess <laughs> to be hockey as of now all right. Well, yeah, good for Zoro. Indeed. He got it pretty early, it turns out. <laughs> Very early. So I assume that uh, had Zoro hit Crocodile here with the uh, Shishi Sonson, Lion Strike, or whatever they call it in the English version, I guess he also just would have gone down if he had taken the hit. Probably. Well, yeah. Yeah, he had to be infusing it into his swords for it to cut Mr. One, so. Mm-hmm. Confirmed. I guess so. It does seem, well, I don't know. It initially felt like somewhat cheapening to me that this is just an application of hockey early in the series as opposed to Zoro learning a cool technique somehow that allows him to cut steel. But I suppose it does make more sense this way, I suppose. Well, yeah, it's also... Just because it is using hockey does not mean that it's not a cool technique that he found to cut steel, you know? That's true. He did stumble upon it by himself. It's not like he had a tutor in this, so... True. Maybe I'm just a little bit bitter about it because it kind of feels like a retcon, but, you know. With Oda, retcons, I I don't like to use that term because Oda likes to leave things just vague enough to expound upon later... This doesn't really like directly contradict anything, of course, but we don't think that hockey existed, so it's just kind of being like retroactively filled in <laughs> as hockey, like a thousand chapters from now. But it is still cool. I like Zoro. I like what he's done here. Um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so there's there's a moment when the guards are trying to break into get to Cobra and Crocodile, right? And this group breaks through the door. And I had completely forgotten about 
this group. The, uh, the Kicking Claw group or something? The, yeah, the Kicking Claw Force. I've completely forgotten about them, and apparently that's uh, with good reason, because they just show up and die. Yeah, not a good showing on those guys' part. No. But I do like what they do to show off Crocodile's character a lot. Because, of course, Crocodile being a calculating, uh, trying to think of a, a kind term, a tool, <laughs> calculating tool that he is, um, he knows that they're going to die anyway. Why would he bother fighting them, right? <laughs> when he just float out of reach and wait like, it was like three panels, so like ten seconds <laughs> before them, before they just like die of their own accord. For sure. Uh, he he did say that he had already suspected that they used this very specific uh, steroid poison. But regardless, I don't think Chaco should have just said like, hey, you... They're going to die real soon. <laughs> uh, agreed. But uh, it's classic to you to not like when people just kind of shout exposition without being prompted to do so. Yeah. He was talking to Vivi, like, directly next to him, you know? He could have just just whispered yeah, a little just, bit more. Should have used your indoor voice there, Chaka. But he is a dog, so they don't have much of an indoor voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good point. Um, right. So, like, after after all that, like, uh, Crocodile's just still being a jerk. It's classic Crocodile. But it's okay, because the crew is all back together after their respective fights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, they immediately start fighting each other. <laughs> yeah, they're all kind of freaking out about, uh, this, um, this bomb operation <laughs> that Crocodile's got going. But they get us together. They still take the time for Nami to yell at Usopp and for Sanji and Zoro to have a few quick quips at each other, which is really good. Like, this is the stuff that I said I felt was more lacking in Wano overall, and uh, definitely um, Whole Cake as well. But it's it's good to see that it did exist at one time. <laughs> Wano still had some, but it was very focused. It's just not as much. Yeah been a very long arc already i think it's like the longest arc already <laughs> so far by a little bit now and it's been very focused on like moving that plot along but as a result of that we get fewer fun character moments like these still some maybe, but yeah. yeah yeah maybe we'll get a whole chapter or two of just them partying once this is done <laughs> oh without a um, doubt unless something bad happens after but We'll see what happens. Yeah. So back to Elevarna and the, the current crisis. Mm -hmm. The current past crisis. <laughs> right. Um, the current crisis, but in the past. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they are all back together, which is great. And Luffy's basically just like, I got this. Don't worry. And um, he flies up to confront Croc. He hits him right off the bat, like two or three times in a row or something. Really lays him out. And I thought Crocodile was going to be in way worse shape after that than he was. Just because it, it has to have been quite some time since he took a hit like that. Uh, and also, there's no way that he was expecting it. But he he kind of he gets up enough to, like, stare dumbfoundedly at Luffy when he claims that he's the eighth warlord of the sea. So <laughs> He 
he's doing all right, at least up until the uh, the bazooka hits him right in the gut. Indeed. And at the end of it, he's still the one that gets up and walks away. So good for you, Crocodile. Right. He very much was retreating. Like, he was scared. He, he pulled out a big move to make sure that he uh, took the advantage. But yeah, he does. He is the one left standing. People complain pretty frequently that it doesn't make a lot of sense that Luffy would be able to take on like a big name like Crocodile so early on in the series. And I agree that that is a little dubious when you put him up alongside most of the other warlords that are like pretty high tier characters like B-Hawk and Hancock and Moria, I guess. I'm not really sure just offhand if uh, Crocodile could be Moria and the zombies and all that, but... Jinbei. Jinbei, especially, yeah. Doflamingo. Oh, they're all really strong. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessarily the case that all warlords are created equally. So that's one way that you can justify it right off the bat. But it's also the case that, like you said, been a long time since Crocodile has taken real hits because he's been just kind of hanging out, <laughs> flexing his muscles at like the very beginning of the Grand Line, pretty much, for decades, perhaps. At least a decade, I would imagine. So he's probably gotten a little bit rusty <laughs> over the ten years that he hasn't really had to exert himself, you know. So I would imagine that Crocodile, a former New World Pirate, as has been confirmed, probably not as strong now as he was a dozen or so years ago. So I think it made sense. To a certain extent. Yeah, and and I wouldn't say there are many moments where I would call Crocodile weak. Like, Luffy just takes advantage of his weakness and overpowers the guy. Like, he's caught off guard and that can change anything. So, who cares what those people say? Pretty much. Plus, he does... Luffy still loses to this guy two times. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal. Plus, plus, uh, just kind of to really nail, hammer that nail home, I suppose. Crocodile makes like a big deal over how much he like has trained his devil fruit power specifically to become as strong as he is. And then Luffy comes around and he's like, how about I negate that ability by figuring out your weakness? Um, so just yeah. by doing that, it kind of removes Crocodile's biggest weapon, <laughs> his devil fruit power from the equation. To some extent, he can still like absorb water, but his ability to turn into sand is negated by Luffy knowing how to specifically negate his ability to do so. So, yeah, certainly his greatest defense is gone. Quite so. Uh, speaking of Crocodile and his ability, do you think Crocodile was awakened at this point? Uh, I have not seen any specific evidence that would make me say. Yes. Um, but if there was anything that would make me inclined towards it, it would be the move that he pulled where he just drained the liquid out of everything, everything <laughs> after explaining that his right hand was the one that did it. Like, just the, the reach of all that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. You could say that, like, everything is connected because it's touching each other but then why wouldn't he have just absorbed the liquid out of luffy like i don't know it's it was a weird time uh agreed doesn't really seem to jive with like his power as described right if he can just place his hand on the ground 
and suck the moisture out of the ground and everything around it, right? Just because it's touching. Couldn't he theoretically just put his hand in the air and suck moisture out of the air and everything around that? <laughs> you know? So uh, if it's like yeah, in yeah, range, the, just suck moisture. Air, air is molecules as much as anything else is molecules, so yeah. Couldn't he just like put his hand up and absorb Luffy's moisture just because it's touching air near where he's doing it? Is that any different yeah. from what he's doing to the ground? In my opinion, not very. Uh, it, it certainly would seem like it would take more fine control to pull stuff out of the air and then to transition that power from air to a solid thing would probably take even another level of control on top of that. But he's really good at using his devil fruit power, according to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe he's only unlocked it to this point where it can go through solid objects instead of anything else. Because, um, yeah, dehydration as a power overall is, you know, just vague enough and tricky. <laughs> Indeed. My best guess is that this is maybe like, it wasn't intended to be awakening at the time. <laughs> but we do find out that Crocodile knows about awakening, since he's actually the first one who mentions it way later in Impel Down, because he's the one who tells Luffy and us. Uh, that the Jailer Beasts are awakened Zoran types. We didn't know what that meant at the time, and still don't really know what that means in detail. Right. But Crocodile, at this point, at least in canon, knows what being awakened is. And then he pulled that move where he like turns the ground around him into sand, and it just kind of seems like the answer might be yes. But, well, he says himself that his the, the base of his power is dehydration. Like, I, I would think that it would have something to do with that as opposed to the control over sand. Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. I mean, he does say that, but he also can turn his body into sand, though. <laughs> right, but, well, you say that he's so... He, he's real good at his power, and yet you... Like, I'm, I'm trying to go based off of what he himself said, you know? It's, it's tough to... Tough to decide which one there, I guess. Indeed. Uh, we'll probably never know, because I can't think of a good reason for Crocodile to reappear in the story, even though I want him to. Um, but it is fun to speculate. It could happen at some point. Who knows? Let's see. I think I had a few more things. Yeah, Crocodile sees Luffy in his water Luffy form and <laughs> immediately calls him unhinged. And I don't think I've heard a better descriptor for Luffy Ever. Indeed. Crocodile really hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah, just saw it and just like, boom, done. <laughs> we get a little bit of backstory on Robin here, and the world government lied about eight-year-old Robin, so fuck them as usual. Gotta make sure to get one of those in there every other week or so. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, and then we leave ourselves on the nice little cliffhanger of Luffy's mummification. So, unless you have anything that I missed in these notes, I think we're good to sign off till next week. Uh, I don't. We pretty much covered all my stuff as we went along. Like you said, that wraps us up. Uh, like we said before, no manga break next week, so we will be back to discuss Chapter 1015 when it drops on June 6th. Have a good one. Bye-bye.